Chapter 8 of Hester, A Story of Contemporary Life by Margaret O. Oliphant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anne Erickson, Toronto. Chapter 8, 19. Such were the scenes and the people among whom Hester Vernon grew up. Her first désillusionment in respect to Cousin Ellen, who for one bright and brief moment seemed about to bring glory to her young existence, was very poignant and bitter. But by the time Hester was nineteen, she had ceased to remember that there had been so sharp a sting in it, and no longer felt it possible that Ellen, with all her finery, could at any moment have affected her with any particular sentiment. These years made a great deal of difference in Hester. She was at the same time younger and older at nineteen than at fourteen. She was less self-confident, less sure of her own powers to conduct everything from her mother, the most easily guided of all subject intelligences in the old days, upwards to all human circumstances, and even to life itself, which it had seemed perfectly simple to the girl that she should shape at her own pleasure. By degrees, as she grew older, she found the futility of all these certainties. Her mother, who was so easily guided, slid back again just as easily out of the groove into which her child had, as she thought, fixed her, and circumstances defied her altogether taking their own way, altogether uninfluenced by her wishes. Mrs. John Vernon was like the knotless thread of the Scotch proverb. Nothing could be more easy than to convince her, to impress her ductile mind with the sense of this or that duty, but on the other hand, nothing could be more easy than to undo next moment all that had been done, and turn the facile will in a new direction. Between this soft and yielding foundation of her life upon which she could find no firm footing, and the rock of Catherine Vernon, who remained quite immovable and uninfluenced by her, coming no nearer as the years went on, yet hemming in her steps and lessening her freedom, the conditions of existence seemed all against the high-spirited, ambitious, active-minded, and impatient girl, with her warm affections and quick intelligence, and hasty disposition. The people immediately about were calculated to make her despise her fellow-creatures altogether. The discontented dependents received everything without a touch of human feeling, without gratitude or kindness, and the always half-contemptuous patroness who gave with not much more virtue, with a disdainful magnanimity, saying nothing from her pensioners but that they would amuse her with their follies, made up a circle such as might have crushed the goodness out of any young mind. Even had she herself begun with any enthusiasm for Catherine, the situation would have been less terrible, but as this, unfortunately, had not been the case, the poor girl was delivered over to the contemplation of one of the worst problems in human nature, without shield or safeguard or any refuge to creep into. Fortunately, her youth and the familiarity which deadens all impression kept her, as it keeps men in general, from a conscious and naked encounter with those facts which are fatal to all higher views or natural charities. She had in her, however, by nature only too strong, a tendency to despise her neighbours, and the Miss Vernon Ridgeways and Mr. Mildmay Vernon were exactly of the order of beings which a young adventurer upon life naturally treats with disdain. But Hester had something worse in her life than even this feeling of contempt for the people about her, bad as that is. 
she had the additional pang of knowing that habit and temper often made her a partaker of the odious sentiments which she loathed sometimes she would be drawn into the talk of the women who misrepresented their dear catherine all day long and sneered bitterly at the very bounty that supplied their wants sometimes she would join involuntarily in the worst malignity of the man to whom catherine vernon gave everything that was good in his life and who attributed every bad motive to her and as if that was not enough hester sinned with catherine too and saw the ridicule and the meanness of these miserable pensioners with a touch of the same cynicism which was the elder woman's great defect but was unpardonable in the younger to whom there as yet should have been no loss of the ideal the rage with which she would contemplate herself when she yielded to the first temptation and launched at cousin catherine in a moment of passion one of those arrows which were manufactured in the vernonry the deep disgust which would fill her when she felt herself like catherine contemplating the world from a pinnacle of irony chill but smiling swept her young spirit like tempests to grow at all in the midst of such gales and whirlwinds was something it was not to be expected that she could grow otherwise than contorted with the blasts she came to the flower and bloom of existence with a heart made to believe and trust yet warped to almost all around and finding no spot of honest standing ground on which to trust herself sometimes the young creature would raise her head dismayed from one of the books in which life is so different from what she found it and ask herself whether books were all lies or whether there was not to be found somewhere an existence which was true sometimes she would stop short in the midst of the church services or when she said her prayers to demand whether it was all false and these things invented only to make life bearable was it worth living she would ask sometimes with more reason than the essayists she could do nothing she wanted in it her core had all melted into thin air if it had been possible to get the consent of her authorities to the work she had once felt herself so capable of she was now capable of it no longer her mother obstinate in nothing else had been obstinate in this that her poor husband's daughter should not dishonour his name alack the day by becoming a teacher a teacher like the poor governesses for whom he had felt so much contempt and catherine vernon the last auxiliary whom mrs john expected had supported her with a decision which put all struggles out of the question catherine indeed had explained herself on the occasion with a force which had almost brought her within the range of hester's sympathies notwithstanding that the decision was against her i am here miss vernon had said to take care of our family the bank and the money it brings in are not for me alone i am ready to supply all that is wanted as reason directs and i cannot give my sanction to any members of the family descending out of the position in which by the hard work of our forefathers they were born women have never worked for their living in our family and so far as i can help it they never shall you did yourself cousin catherine said hester who stood forth to learn her fate looking up with those large eyes eager and penetrating of which miss vernon still stood in a certain awe that was different i did not stoop down to paltry work i took the place which others had abandoned 
I was wanted to save the family, and thank heaven I could do it. For that, if you were up to it, and occasion required, you should have my permission to do anything. Keep the books or sweep the floors, what would it matter? It would matter nothing to me, cried Hester, clasping her nervous little hands together. And then it was that for a moment these two, the old woman and the young woman, made of the same metal, with the same defects and virtues, looked each other in the eyes and almost understood each other. Almost, but alas, not quite. Catherine's prejudices against Mrs. John's daughter and her adverse experiences of mankind and womankind, especially among the Vernons, intervened and brought her down suddenly from that high and serious ground upon which Hester had been capable of understanding her. She turned away with one of those laughs which still brought over the girl, in her sensitive youthfulness, a blush which was like a blaze of angry shame. No chance, I hope, of needing that a second time, nor of turning for succor to you, my poor girl. It was not unkindly said, especially the latter part of the sentence, though it ended in another laugh. But Hester, who did not know the circumstances, was quite unaware what that laugh meant. She did not know that it was not only Catherine Vernon's personal force and genius, but Catherine Vernon's money which had saved the bank. In the latter point of view, of course, no succor could have been had from Hester, and it was the impossibility of this which made Miss Vernon laugh. But Hester thought it was her readiness, her devotion, her power of doing everything that mortal woman had ever done before her, which was doubted and the sense that she was neither believed in nor understood swept in a wave of bitterness through her heart. She was taken for a mere schoolgirl, well-meaning, perhaps, perhaps not even that, incapable, she who felt herself running over with capacity and strength, running to waste. But she said nothing more. She retired, carried further away from Catherine in the recoil, from the manner of the approach to comprehending her what she felt she had made. And after that arrest of all her plans, Hester had ceased to struggle. In a little while, she was no longer capable of the cour to which she had looked so eagerly. She did not know anything else that she could do. She was obliged to eat the bread of dependence, feeling herself like all the rest, to the very heart ungrateful, turning against the hand that bestowed it. There was a little of Mrs. John's income left, enough, Hester thought, to live upon in another place, where she might have been free to eke out this little. But at nineteen she was wiser than at fourteen, and knew that to risk her mother's comfort, or to throw the element of uncertainty again into her life, would be at once unpardonable and impossible. She had to yield, as most women have to do. She had to consent to be bound by other people's rules, and to put her hand to nothing that was unbecoming a Vernon, a member of the reigning family. Small earnings by means of sketches or china painting would have been as obnoxious to Catherine Vernon's rule as the cour, and of what use would they have been? It was not a little money that Hester wanted, but work of which something good might come. She yielded altogether, proudly, without another word. The arrangement of the little household, the needlework, and the housekeeping were nothing to her young capabilities, but she desisted from the attempt to make something better of herself with an indignant yet sorrowful pride. Sometime Catherine might find out what it was she had rejected. This was the forlorn and bitter hope in her heart.
The only element of comfort which Hester found at this dark period of her life was on the other side of the heronry, in the two despised households which the Miss Vernon Ridgeways and Mr. Mildmay Vernon declared to be not of our class. Mr. Reginald Vernon's boys were always in mischief, and Hester, who had something of the boy in her, took to them with genuine fellow-feeling, and after a while began to help them in their lessons, though she knew nothing herself, with great effect. She knew nothing herself, but a clear head, even without much information, will easily make a path through the middle of a schoolboy's lessons, which, notwithstanding his Latin, he could not have found out for himself. And Hester was a dab at figures, the boy said, and found out their sums in a way which was little short of miraculous. And there was a little sister who called forth all the tender parts of Hester's nature, who had been a baby on her first appearance at the Vernonry, and to whom the girl would gladly have made herself nurse and governess, and everything that girl could be. Little Katie was as fond of Hester as of her mother, and this was a wonderful solace to the heart of the girl, who was a woman every inch of her, so much of a boy. Altogether the atmosphere was better on that side of the establishment. The windows looked on the common, and the air was fresh and large, and Mrs. Reginald, if she would have cared for it, which was doubtful, had no time for gossip. She did not pretend to be fond of Catherine, but she was respectful and grateful, a new feeling altogether to Hester. She was busy all day long, always doing something, making clothes, mending stockings, responding to all the thousand appeals of a set of healthy, noisy children. The house was not so orderly as it might be, and its aspect very different from that of the refined gentility on the other side. But the atmosphere was better, though sometimes there was a flavour of boots in it, and in the afternoon of tea. It was considered just like the girl that she should thus take to Mrs. Reginald, who had been a poor clergyman's daughter and was a Vernon only by marriage. It showed what kind of stuff she was made of. You should not let her spend her time there, a mere nursery-maid of a woman. To think that your daughter should have such tastes. But you should not let her, dear Mrs. John, the sisters said. I let her, cried Mrs. John, throwing up her hands. I would not for the world say a word against my own child, but Hester is more than I can pretend to manage. She always was more than I could manage. Her poor papa was the only one that could do anything with her. It was hard upon the girl when her own mother gave her up. But this, too, was in Hester's day's work, and she learned to smile at it, a little disdainfully, as Catherine Vernon did, though she was so little hardened in this way that her lips would quiver in the middle of her smile. The chief resource which Hester found on the other side of the Vernonry was, however, still more objectionable to the feelings of the genteel portion of the little community, since it was in the other little house that she found it, in the society of the old people who were not Vernons at all, but who quite unjustifiably, as they all felt, being only her mother's relations, were kept there by Catherine Vernon, on the money of the family, the money which was hers only in trust for the benefit of her relations. They grudged Captain Morgan his home. They grudged him his peaceful looks. They grudged him the visits which Catherine was supposed to pay oftener to him than to anyone else in the Vernonry. It is true that the Miss Vernon Ridgeways professed to find Catherine's visits anything but desirable. 
dear catherine they said what pity she has so little manner when she is absent one can recollect all her good qualities how kind she really is you know at bottom and what a thing it is for her to have us here and how lonely she would be with her ways if she had not us to fall back upon but when she is present really you know it is a struggle her manner is so against the poor dear one is glad to see her go to think that it is over it will be some time before she can come again for she really is much better far better than she appears poor dear catherine this was how they spoke of her while mr mildmay shrugged his thin old shoulders catherine poor thing has too much the air of coming to see if our houses are clean and our dinners simple enough he said even mrs john chimed in to the general chorus though in her heart she was glad to see catherine or any one but they were all annoyed that she should go so often to those old morgans they kept an account of her calls though they made believe to dislike them and when the carriage was heard on the road they could all distinguish the sound it made from that of any other carriage they all calculated eagerly at what house she was due next and when instead of coming in at the open gate which the old gardener made haste to open for her as if he had known her secrets and was aware of her coming she stayed outside and drew up at the morgans nobody could imagine what a commotion there was the sisters rushed in at once to mrs john who had a window round the corner and watched to see if it was really true and how long catherine stayed they made remarks on the little old gentleman with his white head when he came out to put her into the carriage what hypocrites some people are they cried we are always as civil as ever we can be and i hope dear catherine poor thing always feels that she is welcome but to make believe that we have enjoyed it is more than martha or i am equal to they watched until the fat horses had turned round and catherine's bonnet was no longer distinguishable that is the third time in a month to my certain knowledge miss matilda would say be thankful my dear ladies that it is on old morgan not on you that she bestows her favours mr mildmay would remark mrs john was not always sure that she liked this eruption into her house but she too watched with a little pique and said that catherine had a strange taste oh dear catherine she has no taste her worst enemy never accused her of that the other ladies cried and when it was known that these old morgans the captain and his wife whom catherine vernon distinguished in this way had gained the heart of hester the excitement in the vernonry was tremendous mr mildmay vernon though he was generally very polite to her turned upon his heel when the fact was made known to him with angry contempt i draw the line at the morgans he said much might be forgiven to the young girl the only youthful creature except mrs reginald's boys whom he detested among them but not this the sisters did not alas pass it over so briefly they themselves had never taken any notice of the old couple the utmost they had done had been to give the old captain a nod as they did to the tradesmen when he took off his hat to them mrs morgan who never went out did not come in their way fortunately for her so strange was this departure on hester's part from all the traditions of the place that to do them justice they would not believe in her iniquity until the fullest proof had been secured 
but after she had been seen about half a dozen times at least, seated in the round window which commanded the road, and was the old gentleman's delight, and even strange girl, without any sense of shame, had made herself visible to everybody walking with him on the edge of the common, and standing talking to him at his door, there was no further possibility of doubt on the subject. The only thing that could be thought was to cut Hester, which was done accordingly by all the garden front, even her own mother being wound up by much exhortation, as for the advantage of her daughter's soul, to maintain a studied silence to the culprit, by way of bringing her to her senses. But it may be supposed that Mrs. John did not hold out long. A more effectual means of punishment than this was invented by Mr. Mildmay Vernon, who declared that it was a very clever way of currying favour with Catherine, and that he only wondered it had never been adopted before. This, indeed, touched Hester to the quick, but it did not detach her from her friends. The objects of all this enmity were two very simple old people, without any pretension at all, who were very willing to live peaceably with all men. Captain Morgan was an old sea captain with all the simplicity of homely wisdom, which so often characterizes his class, and his wife, a gentle old woman, entirely devoted to him, and by this time not capable of much more than to keep the record of all his distinctions, and to assert his goodness. It was he who helped her downstairs every day to the chimney corner in winter, and in summer to the large chair in the window, from which she could see everything that went on in the road, all the people that passed, and the few events that happened. A conviction that little Ted, Mrs. Reginald's third boy, would be run over, and an alarmed watch for that incident, were the only things that disturbed her placid existence, and that she could not accompany him on his walks was her only regret. He dearly loves somebody to walk with, she said, except when he was at sea, my dear. I've gone everywhere with him, and he misses me sadly. Take a little turn with the captain, my dear. And when Hester did that which so horrified the other neighbours, old Mrs. Morgan looked out after them from the window and saw the tall, slim girl walking by the side of the stooping old man with a pure delight that brought the tears to her eyes. When you are over eighty, it does not take much to make you cry. Hester, who was the subject of continual assault in every other place, was adored and applauded in this little parlour, where they thought her more beautiful and good and clever than ever girl had been before. The old captain, who was screwed and twisted with rheumatism and stooped with age, held himself almost straight when his young companion started with him upon his daily walk. When a young lady goes with me, he said, I must remember my manners. An old fellow gets careless when he's left to himself. And he told Hester stories of all the many chaptered past of the long historic distances which he could remember like yesterday, and which seemed endless like an eternity to her wondering eyes. He had been in some of the old sea fights of the heroic days, at Trafalgar, though not in Nelson's ship, and he liked nothing better than to fight his battles over again. But it was not these warlike recollections so much as the scraps of his more peaceful experience which entranced the young listener. 
She liked to hear him tell how he had got hold of a foolish young middy or an able seaman who was going to the bad, or how he had subdued a threatening mutiny and calmed an excitement, and of the many, many who had fallen round him while he kept on, fallen in death sometimes, fallen more sadly in other ways. A whole old world seemed to open round Hester as he talked, a world more serious, more large than this, in which there were only the paltry events of the day and her foolish little troubles. In Captain Morgan's world there were great storms and fights. There were dangers and struggles and death lurking around every corner. She used to listen breathless, wondering at the difference. For what danger was there, what chance of mortal peril or temptation here? In that other universe the lives of hundreds of people would sometimes hang upon the decision and promptitude, the cool head and ready resource of one. Why was not Hester born in that day? Why was she not a man? But she did not sufficiently realize that when the men were going through these perils, the mothers and sisters were trembling at home, able to do no more than she could. After these walks and talks, she would go in with the captain to pour out his tea, while Mrs. Morgan in her big chair restrained herself and would not cry for pleasure as she was so fain to do. "'Oh, my dear, it was a good wind that blew you here,' the old lady said. "'The trouble it has been to me not to be able to go about with him. "'Indoors we are the best companions still, "'but he always liked his walk, "'and it is dreadful not to be able to go out with him. "'But he is happy when he has a young companion like you.' "'Thus they made a princess of Hester "'and attributed to her every beautiful quality under the sun.' When a girl is not used to enthusiasm at home, it does her good to have somebody believe in her and admire all she is doing. And this was what made her strong to bear all the jibs of the fine people, and even that detestable suggestion that she meant to curry favor with Catherine. Even the sting of this did not move her to give up her old captain and her humbler friends. End of chapter 8